All right, welcome board folks. Good to have you back. White Collar Crimes, another episode. Uh, going to talk a little bit this time about when corporations' actions become violent and they are very harmful. Um, as I said before, and you know, when I all started this and in episodes in the past when I focused on white collar crime, uh, prior to grad school, I really didn't know a whole lot about this subject. Uh, worked in the criminal justice system for a long time, over 20 years, um, taught you know, tons of classes at different colleges around and whatnot, come from a law enforcement family, but really didn't know a whole lot about it because, you know, I live in an area, a rural area for the most part, and uh, just don't usually deal with a lot of white-collar crimes, at least not what I thought. But once I knew more of a definition of it and saw how uh, how more common it is than you think, and it's not just the super wealthy elites that are involved in it, uh, began to take a little bit more of a different perspective of it. Um, and though the intent is financial, um, unfortunately, oftentimes the results of these white collar crimes are violence and physical harm. Um, and like I said, I've talked about and given examples in other podcasts, done whole complete episodes on uh, that W.R. Grayson company, the mine company out of Montana, how they destroyed a entire uh, city in Montana and area with uh, asbestos poisoning. Peanut Corporation of America, very deadly case of salmonella poisoning. Uh, CEO ended up going to prison for about 28 years for that, but not before hundreds of illnesses and even nine deaths in 40-some-odd states. Um, and, of course, the famous Ford Pinto scandal, that was one of the big cases I remember studying at grad school at the University of Cincinnati. Um, and uh, that's where, you know, they simply put profits ahead of lives. You know, Ford calculated that it was uh, cheaper to uh, just uh, risk getting people killed rather than make a few small safety features to the Pinto. And it ended up getting a lot of people killed. Um, now, pollution is a process that's done, uh, and it's oftentimes a very slow pro- process. And it uh, can victimize an entire population, kind of like the... Uh, Flint water case. Now, I am going to do a future show on that. Um, that will not be the focus on this episode. But uh, again, it's usually a very slow process over a period of time, and it can end up victimizing an entire population. Um, and in the 1970s, people started getting concerned a little bit about pollution. So the EPA was created, the Environmental Protection Agency. I'm sure most of you all are familiar with them that are listening. Uh, they have been granted criminal and civil authority, which gives them a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of muscle, so to speak. Now, I'm not going to get too much into that. I personally am, a, you know, a civil libertarian. I'm a little nervous of any government entity having too much power authority, but nonetheless, they do um, have a lot. And uh, however, most violators they pursue are only usually pursued uh, civilly. Now been a while back, but one study that I found going back to 1999, a study, a Scalia study, showed that only 17% of the people who are pursued in this manner for these environmental crimes are processed or prosecuted criminally. So the overwhelming majority of them, you know, basically eight out of 10 cases are uh, prosecuted uh, criminally, I'm sorry, civilly. So then for those of you that aren't aware, civilly means just simply monetary damage. You know, that's civil court. Civil court differs in criminal court in that money is what the goal is, and it's a private dispute usually between two parties. Now, in this case, it's not because, you know, if the EPA is pursuing somebody in civil court, it's a government agency doing it, in which case most of the time if the uh, agency is declared guilty or in violation, they 
or out uh, a fine. Again, like I said, monetary damage is the focus of civil court. And it's much easier to get somebody in civil court. Uh, the level of proof is much different. You know, for those of you that don't know, I'm sure, well, first of all, I'm sure most of you do know in criminal court, you've heard the saying beyond a reasonable doubt. That's what we, that's the standard of proof we require in criminal court, which if you really want to put it in numbers, I was always told it's anything beyond, well beyond 90% certainty, then that's proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Civil court goes by a standard of what's known as preponderance of evidence, and that means if it's more likely true than not, then they're guilty. So basically you're talking a 51-49 kind of uh, scale you have to tip here, and that's basically was another example I was always told. If you have two scales there, and if one barely slightly tips one way or other, then that's what you have. It doesn't take much to prove somebody guilty in civil court, and... Uh, that's what can happen in a case in these cases, and oftentimes that's how they are pursued. And you know there can be some advantage of this. Uh, we all know hitting folks in their pocketbooks are uh, one way that oftentimes can get people's attention. Uh, you know boycotts and things of that sort certainly are popular now in the day of uh, social. I mean, yeah, in social media that we live in, people oftentimes can very quickly uh, you know ruin somebody's reputation and get a solid boycott going, you know, and there's other avenues online such as Yelp and, you know, online reviews and, you know, this day and age, everybody's going for a five-star rating and something. So hitting somebody in their wallet can hurt and uh, enough fines leveled against a company, maybe more to get their attention sometimes and uh, possible criminal charges in some cases. Um, but uh, this seems to be the route oftentimes we're going and, you know, who knows, what the reason is for that, but, uh, you know, can we keep going that route to pursue these cases? After uh, the W.R. Grayson company officials, they were acquitted at trial, so we have seen plenty of times uh, where justice works in these cases. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, again, if you remember the episode we did on the Peanut Corporation of America, Stuart Parnell was found guilty and given 28 years in prison. At that time, probably the largest sentence for a white-collar criminal. Then we see Bernie Madoff. He ends up getting uh, about, uh, you know, basically a couple of different life sentences. And, you know, in the end, we know he died in prison. But then other times we've seen where it's a joke and a slap in the face, i.e. Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street, got a very lenient sentence, uh, got out of prison, didn't honor really his end of the deal to, uh, you know, pay restitution to his victims. So Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, uh, you know, but like I said, we saw with the officials from the W.R. Grace and Mine Company, despite poisoning an entire town uh, with asbestos, the uh, company officials were not held liable criminally for this. At least, you know, they were not in the end. They were tried and they were acquitted. Same thing with Ford Pinto case, you remember that. Uh, they were also tried in criminal court in Indiana. First time a corporation had actually been brought up on murder, murder charges and, uh, in the end, they were acquitted. Now, um, the victims in the W.R. Grace Company, they did file a $100 million lawsuit, which was later settled out of court. Um, it's not known how much the family members got, but they were compensated, and that was also pursued with Ford. And I'm sure most of the time, these companies, that is what's pursued, because sometimes that's the only way you can get justice. Uh, we all remember the O.J. Simpson case after he was acquitted of murder, which in my opinion, was a travesty to our justice system. But nonetheless, that's what happened. Um, if you all remember right, you know, the Goldman family and uh, Nicole Simpson's family pursued him in criminal court and uh, got a pretty good-sized judgment. Now, whether or not they actually got him to pay up, who knows? But uh, that is a route that they can pursue and go. 
And as I said, it's easier to prove something in civil court than it is criminal court. So that could be just one simple explanation why uh, these white-collar offenders, especially these corporations, are pursued more civilly than criminally. Of course, you can also remember, like I talked about in the Ford case, it's oftentimes very hard to nail it down to one person you know, to bring criminal charges against. When there's several officials that are involved in something, it's, uh, it's hard to nail it down to one. And you look at a, you know, a case like uh, just your average street crime, you know, if you've got witnesses and some type of evidence, you know exactly whom to bring the charges up against. But that is not the case in uh, white-collar crime cases. Sometimes it's extremely difficult to nail it down to the right person. Um, the corporate world and the EPA, they have continued to battle this battle, really, of safety and economic freedom. And, you know, they're both at, I don't care what your politics are, they're both a necessary evil. You know, we do need to, uh, you know, take care of our environment. Uh, you know, Teddy Roosevelt's one of my favorite presidents, but he was the one who basically started conservation. Um, very important how we... Uh, take care of our environment for future generations, but we also need business. We need corporations. They provide jobs. They provide good livings for people, and uh, they provide products and services that we all use and enjoy. So like everything else in life, we have to find a way, it seems like, to strike a balance. Um, the question is, though, like I said, why so few are actually being prosecuted? Why are so many only being pursued uh, monetarily, which, you know, let's face it, probably a lot of them can afford. It's almost more like a nuisance than it is an actual, uh, you know, problem or actually something to get their attention. You know, um, you know, people oftentimes are, you know, persuaded from committing crimes because they fear maybe the criminal penalty. But uh, I'm not sure these corporations are really that much rattled that much by these fines that they encounter. But that seems to be the method that we're going. And like I said, could be for a variety of reasons. It's one of the easiest to pursue. And, uh, you know, it's, it seems to be more convenient, possibly. Um, but sometimes, like I said, the violence can get really deadly, um, and it can rack up a lot of times, and some of them repeatedly get away with it for a while. Another case you haven't heard of, and I hadn't heard of it till grad school, was uh, the McWayne Incorporation case. Um, they are a private company. They're based out of Birmingham, Alabama, and they make pipes. Um, and they were very famous for... Uh, Cutting costs at any cost and uh, very hazardous, dangerous working conditions. Um, it was known as the, quote, McWayne Way. And uh, they, uh, they were known to work with skeleton crews. Um, and these folks had to work very extended hours. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are doing that right now in this pandemic, uh, you know, with so many people not working. And, uh, you know, and of course, my opinion, somewhat uh, government has incentivized that a little bit for pe some people not to go to work. But nonetheless... Um, a lot of places are working short-staffed, and, uh, you know, people are having to work, you know, 12 hours or beyond, and, you know, some places are having to close certain days and times just to give their people a day off because we all know it's dangerous. You know, when I was working at the sheriff's office, worked plenty of double shifts in my time, 16-hour shifts, and, uh, you know, that last few hours, that 16-hour shift, you're a little groggy and, uh, you know, can get a little dangerous. Sometimes your judgment's not the best after a really tired uh, time like that, so, uh they were known to work with these screw these crews and uh, have to work force them to work extended hours. Um, plant conditions were horrible. We, we've seen this before. You know the uh, Peanut Corporation of America. You know water everywhere, rat feces, uh, electrical hazards. You know you name it. Very dangerous and hazardous conditions. And uh, this was the case in uh, with McWayne Company. Uh, very safe due to cutbacks. Um, they avoided any type of safety measure which they could. And why? Increase in profits. And again, 
that can be dangerous and cause lives. We know that with Ford, they cut back, and uh, in the end, it cost a lot of people their lives. And uh, they avoided safety measures at you know all times. Uh, a newspaper report between 1995 and 2003 determined there were 4,600 injuries reported with this company through various few locations they had. 4,600, um, which got to make me wondering. I mean, I'm sure their you know workman's comp insurance premiums had to be through the sky, but somehow they continued it. Of course, I guess when they cut back so much, you know, they were able to make such huge profits they were able to absorb it, but. Uh, People were having to work shorthanded and in, uh, you know, hazardous conditions, uh, prescription for disaster. But, I mean, think about that. One country or one company, 4,600 people. I mean, uh, you know, uh, the town I grew up in was about a town of only 4,000 people. So you're talking roughly 600 more people than that got hurt with this company just in, you know, basically an eight-year span. I mean, that's staggering. And they were cited for it, multiple health and safety violations. Um, but like I said, you know, it was probably more of a nuisance to them than anything. And, uh, you know, if they were fined, I'm sure they were able to absorb it. And they continued to go and uh, operate as business as usual. But the McWaynes, later in 1995, they bought the Tyler Pipe Company in Texas. And they soon turned it into the same conditions that... Uh, were known as the McWayne Way, and uh, they cut two-thirds of their employees right out of the gate, but yet demanded the same level of productivity. And again, you know, that's dangerous. And uh, unfortunately, we're seeing that now. Many places are working shorthanded, and uh, we're seeing them have to do that now. Um, but it was reported, um, you know, back in 2003, there was a study by a group called Barstow and Bergman, and uh, they found out that it was so bad after a while, no one wanting to work for this outfit, that they had to begin recruiting people from the local prisons. Um, And this, unfortunately, is not really a new practice. Um, There is a factory near where I'm at, not far from here, maybe about an hour from where I'm located in here, that is known to have uh, pay, you know, slave uh, wages and uh, very hazardous conditions, employs a lot of illegal immigrants because, you know, the conditions are so low and hazardous that, you know, a lot of Americans won't work there, and this was the same case there. And... This goes on a long time out throughout history. Um, you know, in Southern Illinois, where I'm at, it was very famous. Uh, some of you may have heard of uh, the old slave house they had in a town called Harrisburg here. And there was a man that was actually running a reverse uh, underground railroad. He was uh, he owned some salt mines and was actually importing um, freed slaves and basically taking them into slavery to work in these salt mines because these salt mines back in the 1800s and early 1900s, the conditions were so atrocious, nobody would work in them. And that's how he had to do it, was get basically illegal forced slave labor. Um, you know, there's some books out on it. Um, I'll have to mention them sometime on the show to check out. Unfortunately, uh, it's no longer a tourist site. It used to be a tourist site in the Harrisburg, Illinois area, whereas that is a landmark. But the uh, state took it over for a while, and then I think finally it's in private hands now. But yeah, this was what was going on you know, back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, just simply to get some, uh, you know, labor, he had to have illegal, uh, you know, slavery, you know, because in Illinois, slavery was illegal. You know, we fought in the Union in the Civil War, but nonetheless, he ran a reverse version of it, uh, transported slaves up and down the rivers and, uh, you know, used them for the salt mines and, uh, you know, made a profit from it. But, uh, 
it was so bad that basically you got guys coming out of prison that, you know, I mean, that are on parole and, uh, you know, let's face it, you have a felony conviction. You're very limited to what kind of jobs, you know, you're going to be able to have anyway. You're certainly most likely not going to be able to get any kind of state job or any kind of job that requires licensing or, you know, very many high paying jobs. So some type of uh, hard manual labor like this may be your only choice. And uh, despite the dangers, uh, some of these guys right out of prison, I'm sure were willing to take these jobs despite the risk, because that might be the only job they were able to get, you know, as far as at least legitimate employment. So and unfortunately, that's what these places do. Uh, you know, through these uh, outfits, they set up basically, uh, you know, they attract poor and unskilled workers. They get them in and, uh, you know, they get victimized where they can't get out of these jobs. And, uh, you know, some of these conditions are hazardous and even lead to violence. And, uh, you know, this was certainly the case with this company and it's happened with uh, far too many of them. And, uh, you know, it's just difficult with an, with employees like this. It's easier to also, uh, you know, trace the harm when you're talking about uh, crimes that are done street crimes. A lot of times it's easier, like I said, to trace the perpetrator and it's easier to trace the victim. But environmental crimes, sometimes it's very difficult to trace down, um, you know, like I said, especially pollution cases. And we'll be talking very soon about the uh, probably not only the uh, Flint water case, but also the Exxon Mobil uh, spill case, both of them you know, very disastrous cases. And, uh, sometimes it takes a while to nail down to who's the one that did it. And, uh, but, uh, the McWayne company, I mean, uh, I don't know how serious all these 4,600 injuries were, but I'm sure some of them were enough that, uh, you probably could have made the argument that somebody be brought up on criminal charges. But, uh, guess what? If you look, uh, probably not. And more times than not, it doesn't happen. And unfortunately, uh, you know, they do get away with it, and, you know, I'm sure they've been fined along the way because it was noted they had several safety and health violations and whatnot. But at the end of the day, again, probably nobody was locked up. And uh, personally, I, you know, this was part of my thesis that I did on white-collar crime in grad school, but I think we are going to have to take more of a criminal approach to these cases because the civil side of it is not working. I, I know we can't criminally prosecute every one of these cases. It's just like... Uh, why probation exists, why plea bargaining exists. There's so many criminal cases. We can't move them all through criminal court and the jails and prisons are crowded as it is. We can't lock every one of them up, but we maybe have to start considering on some of this when there's cases like this, when there's violence, you know, when there goes beyond this, somebody getting ripped off economically, but when the actual physical harm and even death are done to people, um, you know, why shouldn't they? You know, if you go out as a Joe and blow six pack here, get drunk tonight, you know, drive off and, uh, you know, even though you didn't mean to, you crash into somebody and get somebody killed, you're going to be brought up on criminal charges. It may be, you know, depending on what, you know, state you're in, they may call it manslaughter, reckless driving, you know, uh, third degree, whatever. Um, but the, you know, even though you didn't intend to do it, you still can be brought up on criminal charges. Well, time and time again, we find out they do intend to do these things in the name of, uh, you know, profit, or at least maybe, you know, not full, not every case they full on intend to, but they know the risk they are putting their employees and the public in when they do these things. And, you know, they're willing to take that risk in the name of profit. And, uh, and, you know, sometimes I guess you can see why, because very few times, uh, sometimes the punishment is, uh, worth the risk they take, you know, for the financial gain they have, you know, Jordan Belfort did a short time in prison, but he's out now living a free man. And, uh, he's, uh, enjoying the good life in Australia. He's uh, doing commercials for companies and uh, he's holding seminars and, you know, probably making big bucks again. And 
As I've said on previous podcasts, he's probably trying to find a way to rip people off again, you know. Very good at it, and I'm sure, you know, as they say, a leopard doesn't change his spots, and I have no doubt he'll be back in it, and that's what he's going to do from here on out. So, uh, you know, it's just a sad and unfortunate world we live in, but, uh, you know, hopefully it doesn't happen to any of us. But, you know, unfortunately it could, as we've seen here. Not only could you be a victim economically, you know, certainly as many scams there are out there, but as we've seen in cases like this, sometimes... Um, you know, your life and or health could be at risk. And uh, it's not always the rich and powerful that we've seen. Do it. Sometimes it's the very government that's uh, sworn by law to protect us, you know, i.e., again, the Flint, Michigan case. And, uh, you know, so you just have to be careful and pray and, you know, pray God watches out for you and uh, you're not scammed and you're not harmed because there's so many opportunities out there where that can happen. And, uh, you know, we'll keep you educated and we'll keep you up to date anytime there's new cases developing. In this subject, uh, we plan to keep you, uh, you know, abreast of what's going on. We certainly appreciate you joining in. Like the Facebook play page. Uh, tune in to our episodes. We air them every Tuesday night. Um, we, uh, you know, we do take financial donations on the uh, uh, anchor link that we have. But more importantly, like I said, we do want your viewership. Um, but tell your friends about it. We want the, we want you to join in and help educate everybody on this subject because. This is a subject in the true crime genre that just, quite frankly, doesn't get the attention it needs. We have plenty about serial killers and street crime and everything like that, but there's a lot of this and way more than people realize that's going on, and uh, we need to educate people to that effect of what all, you know, this is going on because it goes on much more than uh, any of us realize, and, you know, we've got to stay informed of all things that are going on. So, uh, yep, tune in. Um, you can also check it out the website, uh, ryan-horn.com. Appreciate you joining in on that. And as always, enjoyed having you aboard on this one. And uh, we'll see you next Tuesday night. Take care, folks.